It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Welcome back to the Message to Kings podcast. This is your host, Brad Houston. Episode 274, Jesus' Galilean Ministry. When Jesus is in Samaria, he learns that John the Baptist has been imprisoned by Herod the Tetrarch. This was because John rebuked Herod Antipas for his incestuous marriage to Herodias, who was once married to his brother, which was technically his niece as well. Uh, So basically, John rebukes Herod the Tetrarch for an incestuous marriage. Well, John's fate is doomed. He'll most likely be tortured and beaten, and later um, we will actually hear that he measures, he suffers from a measure of despair due to his questions of Jesus. And here's an interesting thought. I mean, Jesus learns the news, and Jesus travels up to Galilee from Samaria. Jesus could have done something about John's imprisonment, but he didn't. He could have commissioned angels to get him out of prison, but he doesn't. Instead, he continues to Galilee where he'll have his ministry of healing, deliverance, and he'll bring the kingdom. And this is something to think about. Clearly, John was prophesying about himself. I must go lower so that he can go higher. I just don't think John was thinking he would go to prison and later die by the sword. John fulfilled his purpose. This was his purpose. He prepared the way. Jesus is here. Now John is off the scene, and instantly we'll see Jesus catapulted to fame in the land of Israel. Thousands and thousands and thousands will run to Jesus because the ground was tilled by God himself using the preaching of John the Baptist. And before Jesus, Jesus' fame goes wild, he does some ministry in Capernaum, and, and then he's going to visit his home. Matthew four twelve. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Notice how the gospel writers continually all pull from prophecy. It's kind of after the fact, as they study the word, they realize, wow, Jesus fulfilled all of this. So we're going to insert these scriptures so that those who read the letters that they're writing, they can actually compare and and understand that he really is fulfilling these perfectly. And there's something so spiritual about Jesus. He's continually fulfilling the prophecies to a T, literal to a T. He is perfectly, he's doing it. He literally has a script that Jesus is fulfilling, and it's the prophecies of the Old Testament. Like an actor on a grand stage of the world, Jesus is fulfilling a script already written, one he doesn't have to rehearse, one he doesn't have to perform or act upon, one he literally walks out because he is visiting our limited dimension confined by time and space. Check out these verses. When Jesus says he could call upon legions of angels, instead, he said he must fulfill the scriptures. Amazing how clueless man is that we don't realize he will fulfill these words. At the time, 
but we learn later that he did perfectly. The entire script is pre-written. Matthew 26, 47. While he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for the sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put it at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Amazing, huh? I read that whole section just to arrive at the pre-written script part from Matthew 26, 54. How then would the scriptures be fulfilled? There is a script already written for Jesus to fulfill. How profound and perfect is the word of God? How much more should we believe everything that it says? God has already gone ahead of us. He's paid the price for everything, and he set the stage for everything going forward. And here is his message, Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right here, we have Jesus's message, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has come near is Jesus's words. Or John the Baptist used the words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now let's touch base on this message. Like his message was the kingdom of heaven. What a concept. Pretty bold to speak that way, considering Herod was a king. The Romans hated even the word of a king. But this is his message. The message basically means the authority of Jesus and the kingdom in heaven has come to earth. God himself in the flesh now walks among men. His ways, his kingdom, his values, his purpose, everything is now literally in the flesh on earth speaking to us ministering to us, loving on us. And the Lord's Prayer declares, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. The message was heaven has come to earth. Put it this way, heaven is here. I am heaven. God in the flesh, Jesus, is right in front of you. And Jesus brings the kingdom, its personality, its flavor, the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Everything here is subject to God now, for God in the flesh is here. A greater kingdom has arrived on the scene. Matthew 4.18 As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we know that we know that according to John's original accounts, Jesus already knew Peter. Perhaps Peter was waiting for Jesus to call him again, and this calling of Jesus 
to join him in a full-time ministry style is what, you know, what we're looking at here. But this account of fishing for people will occur again. And it'll be a metaphor that Peter truly doesn't understand yet, uh, but the desires are in his heart. They're deep in his heart. And check out the powerful summary Matthew writes here. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout the Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. These verses mess me up. And if you wonder what the kingdom of heaven looks like, here you go. It lists it out. The healing of every disease, sickness, every, every disease. We think COVID is bad. Jesus is healing leopards and the untouchable. He healed those with various diseases, severe pain, seizures, the paralyzed, and even the demon-possessed. He will raise people from the dead. He is the great physician. It's natural for him. He was wild with heavenly power. And we can't miss his ministry was heavenly, powerful, and anointed. No one has ever walked the streets of Israel like this. Everyone who came to Jesus was healed. Every disease, every sickness, every illness, every infirmity, every demon possession, all pain, all seizures, they must submit to the will of God in Jesus. And Jesus himself modeled the will of God by bringing healing. This is the kingdom. No torment, no evil power, no sickness, freedom, liberty, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And with every miracle, there must have been a pulsation of God's power in the region. Flickers of peace and joy, the abundance of love must have overtaken the crowds. Got a disease, sickness, illness, middle duress, depression. Jesus showed his will right here by healing them all. Just call on his name. It's his nature, or better yet, it's the nature of the kingdom. His authority, the authority of the kingdom of heaven, which has authority over any of our challenges, all of them. Mark 1.14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and believe the good news. So Jesus' fame is growing. Great miracles are occurring, and many are coming to him. What happens next, though, is Jesus goes home to Nazareth. He goes, you know, goes back to meet mom and his brothers and even his sisters. If you think some, you know, great, amazing trip to see family is what's about to happen, or it's like going back for Thanksgiving or Christmas, uh, it's not, that's not what's going to happen. And Jesus has been to Jerusalem. He's preached in the synagogues. His fame is growing. Peoples are listening. But instead of being welcomed by the hometown crowd, people are struggling because they know this Jesus is the son of Joseph and Mary, not Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, the healer, the prophet, the son of God himself. No, all they knew was Jesus, son of Joseph. Isn't that sad? They couldn't understand who he truly was. Thus, they couldn't accept his power and his authority. 
Luke 4:14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus just read from Isaiah 61. So this is in his hometown. They let him go in the synagogue, which was normal. He could read there. Um, and this is really cool. So I looked this up in Matthew Henry's commentary. And he said, uh, there were seven readers in each of the synagogues every Sabbath. The first a priest, the second was a Levite, and the other, the other five were Israelites in that synagogue. Um, he would often find Christ preaching in the synagogues, but never reading in the, these other accounts, except in this synagogue at Nazareth, Nazareth, where he was actually a member. So he actually reads here instead of teaches in the other ones, right? Jesus just read from Isaiah 61, and we can't fail to notice that he did not thumb through the scroll to find the part. It was handed to him. Isaiah 61 was handed to him on that day when he was a visitor to this synagogue to read. It, it, fathom that coincidence, right? And this verse is Isaiah 61, which reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was not a coincidence. That was Jesus's assignment. Isn't that powerful? I heard a commentary. It says, This which Isaiah wrote by way of prophecy, I have now read to you by way of history. That was something Matthew Henry said. Luke 4.20 Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Don't you love Jesus' scripture here? Isaiah 61 is his assignment for the Galilean ministry. He has this long-term assignment in Jerusalem. But right now, the proclamation of the good news, the freedom for the prisoners of Satan, recovery of sight to the blind, and the oppressed receiving freedom. That is his assignment right now. And yes, this is the year of the Lord's favor. In fact, some biblical scholars refer to this as the announcement of freedom of the captives, which recurs at this moment in a time of a jubilee year from Leviticus 25. And these uh, biblical scholars actually say it truly was the year, this uh, jubilee year every 49 years, right? It was actually, if you do all the calendar work, you'll see this is the time of the Lord's favor. This is the 49th year. And Jesus is here saying, you are free. All right, we can't miss the scripture that he pulls from Isaiah 61 and where he starts and stops to. Um, read it for yourself. Read Isaiah 61. Here's the crazy part. Chuck Missler pointed this out, how Jesus stops mid-sentence. He stops with to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
which was mid-sentence. The rest of the sentence is the following, and the day of vengeance of our God. Favor is present now. Jesus is present. Jesus is favor. The presence of Jesus is the greatest favor available. Judgment will come at the end of the age, but not too long from now. It will come, but that's after the cross, when Jesus returns with the keys of authority after three year, three days in the grave. But now, now is the year of the Lord's favor. It's a time of proclamation. But it's not just that. The day of judgment is the end of the age, right? So he, it's fascinating how Isaiah 61 stops mid-sentence, almost separating his first coming and his second coming. And we cannot imply from this verse that Jesus, so we, we have to actually consider the fact that Jesus reads and he rolls it up and sits down, but he probably spoke and taught as well. We can kind of imply from these verses that uh, maybe he did a mini sermon, as we would call it. Um, he speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he moves everyone with his words and the wisdom that he shares. Um, but something really must tear at Jesus because there's a lack of faith in the crowd. There's a lack of hunger. And the people like his message. It's a good message. And that once all the people are done reading the scriptures, most likely this is when he gave his message. Um, and it was a good message, but the people lacked faith. Right now, right now, and for three years, there'll be absolute power. Power in ministry, power in miracles, power in salvations. Jesus is going to wreck the devil's infrastructure and power base all over the region. And eventually, his entire infrastructure over the earth, basically. Uh, the, the power of the law of sin and death, it will be broken and replaced with the, the law, of, law of the Spirit. From Romans 8-2. But despite this remarkable revelation from Isaiah 61, miracles are limited here in Nazareth because there's so little faith. In summary, a prophet isn't accepted in his hometown. And what's going on in Nazareth is that no one actually believes he's the son of man. No one but mom and maybe his disciples. Sound familiar to anyone out there? You know, maybe only mom believes you. <laughs> Uh, that's what's going on in Nazareth. Not that you guys are the son of man, but that you're maybe that you're called of God or um, you have a, a strong conviction in your heart that God's called you to do something. Maybe only mom believes in you uh, and a few friends. That's what's going on here in Nazareth. Um, they, they are amazed at his message. Um, they love what he's doing, but they don't believe he's the son of man. They don't believe he's the son of God. He's disturbed too. And if I can say Jesus is disturbed, he's disturbed here. Uh, Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself in love. Nazareth has no faith, and Jesus feels it. No one can believe the Son of Man was actually the boy who was raised in this little village. Luke 4, 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. But they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what you have heard what you did in Capernaum. So Jesus turns everything in his 
almost mini message here. Almost like a sermon gone wrong. He has a few like this, you know, throughout his ministry of the next three years. But it's so real when you consider we only have a fraction of the dialogue. Uh, we have to understand he's getting questioned, um, and then it takes another turn. And I, and I point to small town thinking here in Nazareth. Ever been to a small town? Most of them don't change. In fact, the whole world can change, and the small town thinking just remains 50 years or 100 years ago uh, in the way they think. They're not all that way, but I've seen a lot of small towns. Um, Jesus has a very um, strong-rooted prejudices in his hometown, unfortunately, and that's what he's dealing with. Luke 4, 24. Truly, I tell you, continue, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were more widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Christ himself often met with greater faith among Gentiles than in Israel. And that's what we're seeing here. And he's making the point that, you remember those stories in history when there seemed to be greater faith outside of the realms of God's people? You are even worse. You're the little town thinkers. You're the little town people. Um, don't worry, I grew up in little town, little town America. Um, but there is small town thinking that Jesus is pointing out that you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point that um, I am the son of man. And here he mentions both these instances to show that he did not dispense the favor of his miracles by private respect, but according to God's wise judgment and appointment. What happens next just messes with my brain. I mean, all of a sudden they get furious with Jesus and they want to kill him. And I can't believe this. Some, perhaps someone of significant need wasn't healed or uh, there was some backstory. We just don't know. Uh, what Jesus said was, um, God wasn't going to touch you because you didn't receive him. And that was what he was saying is they're not, you're not getting it. And you don't have hunger and you don't have faith like the Gentiles. And that's where he poked him. And it's true. Uh, but he triggered a nerve in this town. It's what he said. And it, it's what he meant. I guess you don't tell a first century Jew that Gentiles have more faith. It triggers a nerve. And it triggers deep-seated small-town anger, and that's what happened. And they probably wanted to stone Mary when she conceived Jesus out of wedlock, even back then. Uh, Joseph defended her, but now they get their chance on the illegitimate Jesus in their eyes. Luke 4, 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Let's end this episode of Message of Kings with more on Jesus' message of the kingdom of heaven. Near the beginning of this episode, Jesus mentioned the kingdom of heaven for the first time. The kingdom of heaven. Remember that statue of Nebuchadnezzar? The head of gold, Babylon. The body of silver, Persia. And bronze was the Greeks. The iron, the Romans, the toes, the ten kingdoms, which could either be the Roman Empire or the end times kingdoms at the end of the age, or both. But the rock was the kingdom of God, 
a kingdom that would never end. The kingdom of heaven is here, right here. Jesus introduces it now. This represents the near fulfillment. The far fulfillment will be the end of the age. That stone is Christ. Jesus is bringing the kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth that will never be destroyed. The kingdom is here. His message will change the earth forever. This message to kings will change the earth forever. The Roman Empire will never be the same. We won't be talking much more about conquest of nations. Uh, yes, they will invade England. The Romans will invade England again. They'll get into parts of Germany. Uh, there'll be parts of Eastern Europe as well. Uh, there'll be some other conflicts, but it's there's no more major expansion. It won't be about the Republic versus the Empire, or the Empire versus Germania, um, or the Parthians. No, the story will actually be Christianity versus the Roman Empire. In Edward Gimmon's famous histories, he titled his this time period in history as Caesar and Christ. It's the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness from here on out for the Romans. The kingdom of heaven is here. Light has come to the world. There will be empires, yes. Oh, there will be times in the sun for the Romans, the Spanish, the English, and the Americans. But a greater kingdom will always be in their midst. Always, always around and within, the kingdom of God will be unmistakable throughout world history. A movement of Christ pervading every corner of the globe and society. This is the body of Christ bringing the kingdom of heaven. Let's wrap everything up and just encapsulize basically the kingdom of heaven with his assignment from Isaiah 61. The devil's kingdoms of the earth are on the defensive. Jesus has arrived. They pick up stones to kill him and he walks through their midst like he's frozen in time or he immaterialized in the spirit and walked through them. Like vapors in the wind or the kingdoms of the earth and the powers that be. Jesus has come and he will wreak havoc on the kingdoms of darkness, just as he fulfills the words of Daniel, bringing a kingdom that will never end. In his assignment for the next three years, Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. This episode is brought to brought to us by Steadfast Gifts. Uh, this is one of their latest creations. Uh, it's an armor of God coin or a commemorative coin. A lot of the military guys love these. Uh, this one's based on Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Um, as one man, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. And then the back is Proverbs 27, 17. Pretty awesome. And I'll put a link in the show description um, for iTunes if you're listening there or on YouTube. Um, you guys can check it out. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Talk to everyone soon.